Hi, everyone. This is Drew Perot here, executive producer of the Broken Brain series and host of this podcast, the Broken Brain Podcast. The goal of the Broken Brain Podcast is to continue the amazing and incredible conversations that Dr. Hyman started during the Broken Brain docuseries and invite guests that we highly respect to help us dive deeper into the topics of brain health, longevity, and living our best life. I'm excited to have you back for a new episode this week with one of the stars from the Broken Brain docuseries, Dr. Titus Chu. Dr. Chu is a best-selling author, speaker, and functional neurologist on a mission to transform the face of healthcare for the one billion people around the world suffering from brain and mental health disorders. Dr. Chu is a co-founder and clinical director of Coba Family Wellness, a functional medicine center located in Berkeley, California, that specializes in helping people who are struggling with post-concussion syndrome, early Alzheimer's, and other chronic neurological conditions. He's the best-selling author of his new book, Brain Save, The Six-Week Plan to Heal Your Brain from Concussions, Brain Injuries, and Trauma, and it was just recently released on Amazon. Dr. Chu, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks so much, Chu. It, yeah. Honor is absolutely the right word and sentiment. I feel so blessed to be invited to this podcast and share my messages of hope to everyone out there listening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, pretty synchronistic. We're recording this here at the annual Functional Medicine Conference, and you presented uh, last year at the Functional Medicine Conference on the topic of brain health. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. can, can you just briefly chat about what you presented on last year? Yeah, absolutely. So I gave a talk on what I call, many of your listeners have been following Dr. Hyman's work. He talks a lot about nutrigenomics, how you can use nutrition and these compounds found in food to activate genetic expressions leading to health versus disease. And so sensory genomics, I took that concept, but I applied it to brain health because the brain's unique. Not only does it thrive on food, you know, compounds like nutrigenomics to activate gene expression, but it also thrives on our senses. And so I gave a whole talk on how we can use our five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch to actually help heal people's brains, like my patients' brains that suffer from things like post-concussion syndrome or early Alzheimer's. Incredible, incredible. And we're going to dive deeper into all that content. So Dr. Chu, before you were a doctor and able to help others, you struggled with a lot of health issues yourself. In fact, that's kind of the beautiful thing. You know, you see so many practitioners in the space, they're so motivated to help other people because they themselves have gone through their own health issues. You had uh, mild depression, lack of motivation, low energy, brain fog, and you were constantly getting sick. But then I read that the real breaking point for you was right after you got into this horrible car accident that nearly cost you your life. Uh, can you tell us about that story? I mean, that sounds super dramatic. Yeah, it, it was. I was living overseas at the time, and on my way to work one day, I was on my scooter, and out of nowhere, this car just nailed me, and it hit my scooter, and I went flying through the air like 10 feet. I landed, I dislocated my shoulder on impact, broke three ribs, and when I kind of came to, like I was bloodied and I couldn't breathe. It was actually one of the scariest experiences of my life because wow. I literally couldn't breathe. So the first thought that came to mind was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to die. Like I punctured a lung, right? 
But you've heard that saying, like, get the wind knocked out of you. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. So within a few seconds, I was able to, like, reset and breathe. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God I'm alive, you know. But after that, it was the the injury or the impact was so strong. I was wearing a helmet at the time. And when I kind of caught my breath and, you know, thank God that I was alive, I noticed that my helmet had actually flown off, even though I had buckled it on. Oh, wow. And yeah, so exactly. So I think back on that now. It's like if I was not wearing a helmet, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. Yeah, so it was intense. And what were the repercussions for you after that car accident? <sighs> wow, so much. I ended up, so I healed from that. Like they took me to the ER, like the ambulance brought me there. They made sure like everything was fine, quote unquote, fine, right? Like no medical emergencies or whatever. But I ended up with chronic pain, like my neck, my shoulder. It was really frustrating because I tried everything. I tried th everything in conventional medicine. I took painkillers, physical therapy, and nothing worked. And so I was pretty much giving up hope because I couldn't do a lot of things that I enjoy doing and love doing, like being physically active without this chronic pain. And so thank God one, one year, one winter, I went back home and my brother, he was a chiropractor, Dr. Timothy Chu, and he adjusted me like this. I remember it was like three sessions. And on that third session, he gave me this treatment and everything shifted. <laughs> like, yeah, I was blown away because I had no concept of natural medicine. I was just a lot of my family are, you know, within the conventional medical system. And that's what I was taught. Right. If something's wrong, just suppress it with a drug or a medication. Right. If you have a symptom, just take this drug or don't do anything. And so I was just blown away because in that third visit, like that pain literally just disappeared. Mm. And so I was, my personality was like, okay, what was that? How can I learn that and then share that with other people? And so I just, after that whole experience, I finished up my job, my contract, and then I moved back to the States and I went right into natural medicine school. And then from there, just along the way, when I was learning all these really cool things that was just completely expanded my paradigm of what was possible with healing, like I go to these seminars and I learn about eating healthy, right? And then I learn about some supplements. I learn about lifestyle things. And I incorporated that. I just experimented with my own body. And a lot of those things that you describe, like the lack of motivation, this kind of mild depression, getting sick all the time, all those things just melted away. And so I was a firm believer in natural medicine. That's incredible. And so, so now today with your wellness center, what are the types of things that people come to you to help them address? Sure. That's a great question. And my specialty is neurology because when I went through school, one of the things I fell in love with was neurology because I found it to be this beautiful framework of understanding why, right? Why am I having the symptoms that I'm having? Why are my patients having the symptoms that they're having? So it's a great way of understanding the why and then what I could do about it. Because when I went through school, I learned these protocols, right? Step by step, if a patient presents with this, you do these things. but And I would get good results, but after a while, those protocols that stopped working. And so I went deeper and I discovered neurology and it's this 
wonderful way of going beyond the protocols and understanding the bigger picture, the frameworks of why a person would be suffering from, you know, brain fog versus chronic migraines or things like that. What is root cause neurology? So root cause neurology is this system that I put together after working with thousands of patients over the years, teaching doctors and then actually healing my own broken brain. And it combines the latest breakthroughs in neuroscience, nutrition and functional medicine with time-honored ancient Eastern healing practices. So things like yoga or meditation or Chinese medicine. So I combine it all together and it's really about answering the question, why? Why am I suffering from the symptoms I'm suffering from? Why are my patients having the symptoms? And so it's very much aligned philosophically with functional medicine. And I use a very similar framework, but in addition, I really focus on what I call the key neural networks, which are the regions of the brain that are at the root cause, really, for a lot of my patients' chronic neurological symptoms like post-concussion syndrome, early Alzheimer's, cognitive decline. Because the crazy thing is, you know, there's a story that I have for you is that I have a friend, she's uh, very high up in Silicon Valley at a company, and uh, she was out uh, dancing one night, and she tripped and fell, and hit her head yeah. very hard on a table and then again on the floor. And, you know, of course, people went over to her, checked her out. There was a slight little bruising, mm -hmm. but we just see the surface. And in traditional medicine, they just look at the surface. Yeah. They said, okay, let's check you. And okay, you had a mild concussion. Just But the advice to her, even with the great medical care that she has, is rest, take it easy, and that's it. Yeah. When it comes to brain injury, traditional medicine doesn't have much more to offer us. Yeah. And here you are, you've developed this methodology that's going so much deeper to give people actual hope and treatments that we know that are evidence-based and work. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, you really, you know, hit the nail on the head. Like when it comes to brain injuries, there's so many things I can talk about. It's it, like, yeah, exactly. The standard of care really is just not, it's not good enough. Like help, help us understand a little bit, you know, for people who are listening and this opens up into all sorts of different topics, injuries from sports, car accidents. Many people have been in car accidents, uh, injuries that happened many, many years ago that still have repercussions in your life uh, that, are, that are there. But help us understand, in traditional uh, medicine, why is it that you think that really the answer is just rest and unless if there's something major that we can see, there's no other answer. Like, why are, I guess it's like, why is it that way? Why is that the answer to people's challenges with brain injuries? Well, first off, I think that there just aren't enough doctors trained to understand the complexities of brain injuries. Like, some of the concepts that I talk about in my book that I base my life's work on helping patients with post-concussion syndrome, for example, neuroplasticity, it, those discoveries were made years ago, over 200 years ago, by this Italian anatomist. He found evidence for neuroplasticity, the ability for your brain to literally change its shape. And when you change its shape, you change its structure. When you change its structure, you change its function. And then from there, you change your experience of the world and yourself. And, and compare that to, for most of our modern thinking in medicine right now, even though neuroplasticity is there and has been there for such a long time, it's not really understood on a practice level. It's almost like they don't acknowledge that the brain can change. They think of the brain as fixed. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, that's the really 
the sad thing about it because a lot of doctors think that they might learn about neuroplasticity in school just like I did. I learned, oh yeah, there's this concept or this thing that happens called neuroplasticity, but we're never taught how to actually apply it to the health of our patients. And so from there, I think it then trickles down a lot of patients with brain injuries or concussions they end up getting the message that, yeah, if there's damage to your brain, that that damage is irreversible. And so many patients come to see me. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book. They come to see me because they're terrified, right? They might have had a concussion. They went to the their doctor. And then the doctor said, oh, everything's fine. We, you know, did these basic neurological tests and you're able to, you know, walk, you're able to talk. So just go home, get some rest and, you know, ride it off. But the problem with that is a lot of what happens in a head injury, it's underneath the surface. You can't really see it in a lot of the traditional tests, even things like MRIs or spec scans. Maybe the early signs of really traumatic brain injuries, but later on what ends up happening, there's this process called immunoexcitotoxicity, which is a chemical trauma that continues after the physical trauma. And you can't really see that in any of the traditional tests. Yeah, our tests have not developed to be able to pick that up right now. Exactly. There, there's more breakthrough in the research and stuff, but again, it's just not the standard of care. And so the interesting thing about the brain is the brain, like different areas of the brain, what we call neural networks, have specific functions. So for example, there's this area of your brain called the prefrontal lobe that allows you to focus, to concentrate, to plan your schedule, to show up on time to appointments and all that. And we can actually test that in a neurological exam. And a lot of the findings, especially for people with the more chronic neurological symptoms like post-concussion syndrome, they're subtle. And so a lot of doctors who might even run the same test that I do, they might not be trained to pick up on the subtlety. So for example, the prefrontal lobe does all those wonderful things I just described, right? It also kind of contributes to our personality. In addition, though, it actually helps us move our eyes in a very specific way. Mm. So I can do a neurological exam looking at how a person's eyes move. And if it goes slower to the right versus left, that's very revealing to me because then that tells me an area of the, the nervous system, for example, the prefrontal lobe is not working as well on the right versus the left. But a lot of the time, those subtle findings are missed in the conventional medicine, medical practices. And, and I think it's so validating for anybody who's listening here who's uh, been through a head injury, just hit their head really hard, which is almost, I don't know anybody who hasn't oh my been God. in an accident, yeah. uh, hit their head really hard, uh, you know, played sports in some football or even soccer or other sports where, you know, you've had a pretty bad spill and you know that if you've had a, a mild concussion or concussion, you, you just feel a little different afterwards. Now just for, off. Exactly. You just feel off. That's how I felt. And that was the thing. Like I really think post-concussion syndrome is a silent epidemic. Just like you said, you Almost everyone has hit their head some degree or another. Doesn't necessarily mean that's going to lead into what we call chronic traumatic encephalopathy, where it's like early Alzheimer's or it looks like early Alzheimer's. But when I work with so many patients throughout the years, I would run the same protocols. And for the most part, many of my patients would get better. But there's this small group of patients that for whatever reason, everything that I had learned and I applied to them, it wouldn't stick. Mm. And so I just went deeper into the investigative process and asked better questions, took a better history, really tried to understand their situation. And 
one of the key patterns I found, guess what? History of a traumatic brain injury. And nothing even doesn't necessarily have to be something like massive where they lose consciousness. Because that's the thing about concussions. You don't even need to have a physical blow to the head to have a concussion. You could literally be in a car and just get jarred in a whiplash or like on a roller coaster and get thrown about. That can trigger immunoexcitotoxicity, that chemical trauma. And you don't even need the head injury. And that's why it's such a silent global epidemic. For me, after I got into that car accident, I didn't lose consciousness. I was just kind of winded, right? Mm -hmm. And the most immediate thing was what I described before is this chronic pain, right? Neck and shoulder pain. But my brother, he adjusted me. He He did the treatments and he resolved that. But over the course of about five years or so, I started to develop psychological symptoms. Wow. Like I, yeah, I started to like have anger issues. I started to develop like mild paranoia, and just and was it a slow, yeah, gradual exactly, thing? yeah? Because I didn't even realize it at the time because it was, yeah, just like a slow growing tumor. You don't really know it because it's just there and it's just slowly creeping up, and so it was really impacting my personal life. And when I look back on it now, it's just like, oh, my God. Like, because growing up, I came from a really loving, supportive family. And I didn't have any of these issues. You know, I I told you before, I had some issues with motivation. You know, (laughs) like, you know, most of us do growing up. We're trying to find our way. But I was never angry. I was definitely didn't suffer from paranoia or I had mild depression. But yeah, it was just like this darkness that was there that never was. And when I look back on it all, I'm like, oh my God, it started after that car accident. And what's actually happening in the body that can lead to those things? You talk about this like chemical process inside the body. What What's actually happening that from your best understanding, I know the space is constantly evolving and growing. You were experiencing the symptoms, but because you have the understanding, what, what is happening in the body that an injury like that could create paranoia that could create uh this these anger issues yeah so it goes back again to the neural networks i referred to before so what neural networks are you can think about them like communities within your brain right so what's the individual of the community it's a person and that would be your brain cell and so the brain cells kind of like where all begins. And from there, when you have brain cells that sit close to one another, that's like a little neighborhood, right? We call that a brain region. And then if you have brain regions that communicate with other areas, even though they're not anatomically close, but they can like call each other up on the phone or like go by way of the internet, they can still communicate. That's what we call neural networks. And the reason why neural networks are so important is because they do. They completely create our experience of the world within us and around us. And so there's neural networks for being able to communicate with your friend or being able to empathize with someone. There's neural networks for feeling pain. There's also neural networks for anger (laughs) and these more darker emotions. And so when I look back on it all, it's interesting because I work with patients every single day who have post-concussion syndrome. When I do a whole neurological workup or I take their history, I identify which neural networks are actually at the root cause for their symptoms, Mm. whether it's anger issues, whether it's problems with focus or concentration, if it's dizziness, light or sound sensitivity. These are very common symptoms for people who've had head injuries. 
And so for me, that's the exact same thing that happened for my patient with post-concussion syndrome. After that head injury, even though it wasn't massive and I didn't lose consciousness, there was a breakdown in that communication between the neural networks. And for each person who goes through a traumatic brain injury or a concussion or something, you never know exactly what symptoms it's gonna take up in that person. And just because yeah. two people have had the same injury doesn't also mean that they're that they're um, the solution to address it is the same. Exactly. And, and I think that that's a takeaway that I really, you know, would want to share with our listeners here that, that they've also, if you've seen broken brain docuseries you've gotten is that no two diseases, even if they have the same name, no two injuries, even if they have the same name, have the same solution. It's all personalized based on what the person's health history is Absolutely. and what they went through. Yeah, and the way I break it down, and I do in my book, actually, it's based on their neural networks. Like, So if I have a head injury versus if a friend of mine or a patient of mine has a head injury, it depends on which neural network or which community is injured, right? So if a community, if their main job is to, you know, bring the life of the party to the world, <laughs> right, or their community is about enhancing and growing spirituality or there's a community over here that focuses on building the tech industry if you have damage to that sector or that community you're going to lose those functions and so in my book i actually break it down because neurology can be a very daunting subject right and especially when it comes to brain injuries because it seems so like like there's no hope but Again, one of the main reasons why I wrote the book is to tell people that no matter what has happened, there is always hope. Yeah. And so in the book, I actually break down the five key neural networks associated with head injuries. And so the reader can actually go through that and do a checklist and figure out for them, regardless of what happened in the head injury, they could figure out, okay, which are the root causes, which are the neural networks that I need support with? And then I talk about how you can actually do it. So I pretty much take what I do with my patients every single day and I break it down for them in, in my book so then they can go through it because like spaces are limited for the programs that I have at my office, but I want to get this information out there into as many people's hands that need to read this. So then they can start going through the quizzes and learning about why are they experiencing their symptoms and what they can actually do about it. Let's talk a little bit about that part, what people can actually do. Once you get clear on these neural networks and that sort of thing, you know, help the listeners of this podcast understand what are the tools in your toolbox that you use to work with patients? Because uh, on one side of traditional conventional medicine, um, you know, you get a brain injury. It's sort of like, hey, rest and take time, right? Everybody knows that answer if they've had a concussion uh, just basically don't put yourself in that same situation again. Take a break from playing sports. Take a break from this. Take a break from that. But other than that, it's kind of like you're on your, your own. Um, obviously, there are some really great medical centers that are out there, some universities that are a little bit ahead of the curve. And people have seen some studies that, wow, like fish oil and omega-3s can actually help reduce inflammation. So that's supportive. But other than that, there's not much else there. What are the toolboxes in your research and what you use in your practice that actually are are things that you can give to patients that they can use? Um, so let's start off with let's start off with one, which is a, a big one, which is diet. You know, does diet have anything to do with any of this? Absolutely, yeah. So in that process that I described earlier, immunoexcitotoxicity, where you have this inflammatory as well as what we call an excitotoxic 
chemical reaction happening, what we want to do is dampen inflammation and stop that excitotoxicity. We can do that through food. We can use food as medicine. And so there's foods that people eat that actually can create more inflammation, can create more excitotoxicity, and there's things that people can eat that can actually lower inflammation and stop excitotoxicity. So certain foods we can eat to help lower inflammation are foods that are high in the essential fatty acids like fish. So the thing is, as you guys probably know, a lot of the fish these days, it's they're not as clean as before, which is a different conversation, right? Yeah. But there are certain fish that are what I call smash fish, and Dr. Hyman talks about that too, where they're smaller so they don't have as much toxins or pollutants or heavy metals. So things like sardines or mackerels, anchovies, salmon, and herring. Smaller fish, less toxins, but really rich in omega-3 fatty acids. And one key one is what we call DHA, docosahexaenoic acid. And that's just critical for brain function. It helps lower inflammation, but also helps remember those communication lines I was talking about between the neural networks and communities. It helps to reestablish those communication networks. So diet is extremely important. Supplements can be used very therapeutically to kind of high dose the nutrients needed for the brain to thrive. And it's and it's funny, again, because I've been through this before, playing soccer in high school and having had a very bad uh, head injury hmm. and then uh, just being checked out. And if I would have went to my doctor at the time and told him, oh, you know, these this fish oil and these omega set, uh, omega three fatty acids, essential fatty acids are going to help me build back up these, the building blocks for these communities. Yeah. I mean, even if I probably went to my, I mean, if I would have been then and told my doctor that he would have looked me in the face and said, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's the thing it's, but now like the research is caught up to the phenomenon, right? You know, Dr. Hyman has this great quote that he shares because the, uh, you know, people in all industries who are experts, from, you know, many doctors went to school if they're practicing right now. It's been a few years since they've been out of school and they may not be aware of this research. They're exactly. just, they're, they're good people and they want to help out. They're just not aware. And so Dr. Hyman has this great quote. He says, um, you know, your lack of awareness is not an absence of evidence yeah. that's there. Yeah. Uh, let's continue down the list of other tools that you use in your toolbox to get to the root causes of what people are dealing with with a head injury. Sure. Actually, before we do, I just want to make a, I don't know, step back for a second. Yeah, please because do. I'm just saying all this stuff about the standard of care not being good enough and conventional medicine, but I think conventional medicine, like when I got in that car accident, I wouldn't have gone to, you know, like an energy medicine practitioner. Or yeah. yeah. Like I went straight to the ER because yeah. if I had an acute bleed or a massive traumatic brain injury that needed that heroic medicine, that conventional medicine just rocks in. Absolutely. And that's, I tell all my patients, right? Make sure if you get in a, if you get in a car accident or you have a head injury, go get checked out, go to the emergency room and make sure that, your life is not in danger. Yeah, thank right? God for the traditional medical oh my God, system yeah, and how amazing it is at addressing these, these yeah, issues. Yeah, life-threatening, like acute emergency issues. But that being said, when it comes to the care of more chronic neurological symptoms like post-concussion syndrome, yeah, really, I've had patients literally tell me, come to my office and be like, yeah, I've been to the top concussion specialist in the world. And all they told me was, just like what you said, get some rest, take some aspirin, right? And 
that makes sense. That's part of it because you have you definitely need to rest. Well, actually, the latest research says the more rest you have after a brain injury, they actually it's not the best approach. Obviously, you don't want to go out and go a hundred percent full steam again, but it's good to have light activity. Actually, that's what the latest research says. Is just as long as you're medically stable, right? That's key, of course. But after that, it's good to kind of start getting more active, but the thing is, after a head injury, if your capacity is 100% prior to that, and it drops to 50% of what you're normally able to do, which happens to a lot of people with head injuries, then you want to honor that 50%. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That 50%, not forever, but that 50% becomes your norm until the healing process continues, right? So my point is, though, like doing activity, getting up, light exercise, movement, like within that 50% is actually a really important part of the healing process. So getting too much rest is actually not the best thing. It's part of the whole treatment plan that I put patients through, you know, what I call downtime, where you allow your brain to kind of regenerate itself and recuperate. Part of that is like getting adequate sleep and rest, but also what I call taking mini breaks throughout the day, where... Like, I'm the type of guy that, like, when I get focused on something, I can work for hours straight. And I found, though, like, at the detriment of my own health. So after working with a lot of patients with head injuries and then healing my own brain, I realized that these mini breaks were essential part of the healing process. Meaning, so every 90 minutes or so, especially, but for patients who have concussions, probably every 30 to 60 minutes, it's really good to take a break. And, like... What you want to do is the break has to be where you step away from anything that requires mental energy. It's giving some space and protecting your brain from like sensory overload. Exactly. Yeah, sensory overload or what I like to call synaptic saturation, <laughs> where those communication <laughs> lines between those neural networks and communities just, yeah, there's too much information. So then you actually want to, and that's what I do throughout the day, like, I've been doing this for so long, it's like kind of built into just, it's all about self-awareness, just becoming aware. And one thing I can share with our listeners, for example, if you just start to get tired and you start to like yawn or get fidgety, that's your brain telling you it's time for a mini break, right? Or just kind of like you're talking to someone and, you know, your eyes start to, you feel your eyes glaze over and you're just like, this is too much. Like that's your brain telling you like, yeah, listen to that. Just excuse yourself for a minute. Just say, yeah, you know, I just need some time to like process and And what does that practically look like for you? Is that you going in and meditating? Is that you just kind of sitting in a quiet area? What, What does that practically look like? Yeah. So the key again is it has to require no focused attention, no mental energy. So I might do something as simple as close It's not going my... over to your phone and surfing exactly, on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Which is what people, a lot of their version of a break right now is scrolling incessantly on Instagram. Yeah. And that's not a break. That's not a break. And I mean, even for all you listeners out there, even if you've never had a head injury, just the pace of our modern society, this one tip can transform your life because it's, we live in a world where it's just constant like sensory information coming in, overload. So it's like, even, you know, we go to the bathroom, we're sitting on the toilet, flipping through Facebook or Instagram, you know, and it's just like we'd never allow our brains to go into that standby mode. It's actually called the default mode network, which is necessary not only for healing, but for insight. 
and for recuperation and for creativity. It's really fascinating. If you look at all the studies on creativity, you know, if you've heard about it, it wasn't like Isaac Newton didn't come up with that whole theory, like when he was sitting at his desk, like, you know, focusing, focusing. It happened after he was chilling under a tree and the apple fell on his head. And I think people can relate to this experience of like being in the shower. Yeah. Right. People always say, oh, where do your best ideas come from? It's very interesting. They say you hear common two common areas you hear in the shower mm-hmm. or or in the car. And yeah. even though you're doing something, yeah. your mind, it's probably one of the few times during the day where you give a little bit of a break for some, for certain people. Yeah. It might be the only time in their day that they're not actively like you're still driving a car, but it's not you're solving something or for, there's it's probably the closest thing to a mini break that they have. Exactly. And that's where a lot of ideas come from. Yeah, it's the insight. And there are actually specific neural networks, again, called the default mode network, that become activated when we do things that don't require this mental energy that become automatic. For, but in this example, if you're driving and you're learning how to drive, you're not going to come... Yeah, because you're focused attention, right? You have all this right. energy devoted to not crashing your car. But once you, that becomes automatic and it build, you build those neural networks of being able to drive easily without much thought at all, yeah, when you're driving, you're just coasting and your default mode network comes to life, that community that allows for insight and creativity in your brain. And but, we, so, but you're saying you can take it a step further because obviously we don't want to rely on driving time. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe the shower is okay, but we don't want to rely on driving time, but actual like spacing these breaks, these... Um, these mini breaks throughout the day mm-hmm. kind of give moments of pause for the brain and you're more resilient for everything that you want to do. Exactly. And so for people out there who are listening who have had head injuries, what I encourage you to do is set your timer, your alarm clock for on your phone or whatever for 30 minutes. And at when 30 minutes strikes, finish the conversation, like that sentence, finish typing, whatever, focus, and then just close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, right? Or even stand up, stretch if your body is telling you that, or go for a walk around the block. And so that's a great example of a mini break. For people listening out there who haven't had head injuries and have more like capability of brain cells and brain energy, 90 to 120 minutes is a good like amount of time to set your clock. The reason why I say set your alarm for repeating, because if you haven't done this before, it's going to take time to build that habit. So when I first started doing this, I would like set it in my my phone, like a repeating alarm just to remind me to do that, right? To just to take a mini break. But now what I've done is in my schedule, I've scheduled out in between patients or in between writing. I've scheduled mini breaks and I've actually become the key again is just becoming self-aware. What is your body telling you? Right. Are you yawning? It's probably time to close your eyes or rub your eyeballs or take a nap, you know, and it's just becoming aware of that, listening to that. But what's helpful before you get to that place is actually creating these rituals. But eventually it just becomes second nature. I think the beautiful thing about your work and what you're sharing here is that there's so many people that feel that something's wrong with them. Oh why am God, I not yeah. like everybody else? Yeah. Why do I, you know, why do I get overstimulated in these situations? And I think the key, really the take home message for everyone is that everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Listen to your body. Absolutely. Listen to your body. Listen to your brain. If you need these breaks to function better, 
take it yeah. and don't be apologetic about it. Exactly. Yeah. Just honor, yeah, honor your own needs. Absolutely. Um, that was a huge breakthrough for me. It's just becoming like aware of that. Like, wow, I have these needs. And then actually allowing myself that giving myself the permission to, yeah, take care of my own health. And uh, yeah, I think that's extremely important concept. So I want to talk about, uh, we're going to, I'm to jump around to a few different things, but, uh, obviously, uh, the topic of brain health, brain injury is, is really forefront in the media right now because of everything that's happening with the NFL mm. and, and, and really the question about not just football, but, but all sports, we yeah. have a lot of parents that are listening here mm -hmm. and we're talking about how sensitive the brain is. And, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell recently on his podcast, uh, revisionist history, uh, did an entire, uh, episode on, on football and really like, how can we support this industry if we know now the science is catching up and what we're seeing, right? It's a very emotional topic. He went to university of Pennsylvania. He gave a talk to their team. There was a uh, three students there that had, uh, that were football players that had committed suicide yeah, over exactly. the course of uh, a couple years. And he was basically making the argument and saying that we know this is an issue mm -hmm. and yet we're still supporting this. I mean, sports is such a part of all cultures, Absolutely. all backgrounds and parents, you know, there's so many other benefits that you get from sports and I know it's an individual decision, but what is your take on this? And I'm sure people come to you all the time. You know, they bring in their kids to the, your clinic. They want to get your advice. It's a hot topic. I'd love for you to just chime in on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you bring up a great point about you know, making, making the point that sports are, they're a really big part of culture. I mean, you know, they're not only for the athletes, but also for the spectators, the fans. It's just like this communal thing. And so I don't think the answer is just to ban sports or things like that, but we can get smarter because we do know what's happening. Again, I go back to immunoexcitotoxicity. The thing is, when it comes to concussion, it's not even the severity of the actual head injury. Or like I told you, you don't even need an actual physical trauma to the head. It could be a shaking, but it's the actual environment of the brain when it gets hit. And so I see this all the time in my practice, like patients who have had massive head injury, like a big bonk to their head, and they're fine. And even when I do my neurological testing, like they might have some subtle findings, but not too bad. Whereas another patient might come in and say, yeah, I was walking down the street and then I just kind of bump my head gently or, you know, bump my head on a, a street sign. And ever since then, everything fell apart for me. And so I've identified these patterns, what I call the 12 obstacles to healing that really kind of explain why some people with minor head injuries develop massive symptoms and some people with massive head injuries don't develop any symptoms. Because there's un other underlining factors that also make them more susceptible or other root issues that could that that little tiny head injury could be like the thing that is the tipping point for them. Exactly. You got it. And again, it goes back to like the environment, the health of the brain, because when you have a head injury, it triggers that chemical response we call amino excitotoxicity. It's just this inflammatory damaging response launched by your immune system in your brain. And 
it's part of the actual healing process. Actually, inflammation is part of it. But if it becomes rampant and it doesn't shut off, that's when it could lead to things like post-concussion syndrome or what you referred to just a second ago, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, where we hear about all these NFL players just committing suicide. It's really, it's so just, yeah, it's so sad. And honestly, when I think about my history, I feel so blessed to have the resources that I had to heal my own brain because just I'm plugged into the community. That's what I do, right? But I can imagine that if I hadn't changed my diet and got really strict on, you know, cutting out gluten, if I didn't up my dosage of fish oils and DHA, if I didn't start taking more mini breaks and all the things I recommend to my patients with post-concussion syndrome, who knows? Maybe 10, 20, 30 years down the line, I might have ended up developing dementia because you actually there's a re, uh, recent article that said that if you get a head injury, it doubles your risk for developing dementia. Yeah. And so it's it's just so fascinating that like how because we understand the neurochemical processes, there's things we can do to help, for example, for to help prevent these things or decrease the risk of developing into post-concussion syndrome or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And it goes back again to identifying those 12 obstacles of healing. I talk about that in my book, but one major obstacle to healing of the brain is rampant neuroinflammation. So if a person already has like a leaky gut or gut dysbiosis or imbalance in their good and bad bacteria, that could lead to inflammation in the brain. And let's break that down a little bit. Of course, uh, episode two in the Broken Brain docuseries was all about the connection, the gut-brain connection. But if, in case if people miss that, let's just do a, a quick uh, 101 yeah. on what is it that our gut has to do with our brain? Absolutely. So the gut and the brain actually are very intimately connected. Like the, there's neural tissue in the gut and obviously in the brain, and they come from the same embryological tissue. And so that means that even though they're separated, you know, from anatomically, one's in your head, one is in your belly, they are very intimately related and the communication between them is very important. So for example, when you develop your gut, when your gut develops, your neurological system, your nervous system develops in conjunction. And so they've done studies where they have like rats or, you know, an research animals where they wiped out the good bacteria in their guts and the nervous system didn't develop as well as like for the control animals that had normal gut bacteria. And so body inflammation can cause brain inflammation. And so if you have what we call leaky gut, that's a very common cause of body inflammation. That's where your digestive system normally has this barrier that it's very selective barrier. So it's kind of like the hottest nightclub in town. <laughs> There's bouncers at the door. They have this security system. And they're just going to lend like the people that they want at the club. And they're not going to let in the, the people that are going to cause problems like viruses or pathogens or undigested food particles. That's a strange club, huh? <laughs> but, <laughs> they're the bouncers of your body. Yeah, exactly. And so what we call the, the gut, the, 
what we call the gut-associated lymphoid tissue. And so that is this barrier that prevents things coming into your body that shouldn't be there. But what ends up happening, if that barrier breaks down from chronic stress, antibiotics, antibiotic, or yeah, excessive antibiotic use, infections, infections, processed foods, heavy metals, all that stuff, then the barrier could start to break down and the the riffraff that you don't want in your club, they'll get in and that triggers a massive alarm reaction. And that alarm reaction ends up creating inflammation, not only in the gut, but then that can actually cross the blood brain barrier, which is another hot club, right? <laughs> it could enter the blood brain barrier and then create a massive alarm reaction in your brain. And so if a person has digestive symptoms, if they have gas, if they have bloating and they have leaky gut, and they get a head injury, they already have probably some level of brain inflammation, but then that head injury launches another level. And so it's like the amount of inflammation that is, it's, it's healthy to have a certain level of inflammation, but you cross that and then it ends up creating symptoms. And it's like a cascading effect, you know? And sometimes people look at it and say, um, you know, they have a brain injury and they think that the concussion um, or the, the mild concussion or the concussion was the triggering event. But what you're also saying is that there's all these other factors. And if you were at risk and had leaky gut or had other issues, that light injury could have just been the thing that was the tipping point that caused all these symptoms to happen. Memory fog, forgetfulness, exactly. anger issues, yeah. you know, or even triggering you for early, um, being an early candidate of being, uh, developing dementia later on. Yeah, in life. exactly. And so what's great about that understanding though, is because we understand those mechanisms. And for me, I've identified these patterns. There's so much we can do to prevent that deadly process from happening. We can halt that process. So in addition to you, we talked about diet, we talked about breaks. What are some of the other things that we can do on a preventative matter to, uh, to prevent these bigger issues from developing later on. Absolutely. So again, in this example, if a person has digestive issues, like if you, if for, if you're a parent listening right now and you have your kids, they're playing sports and you're concerned, some things that you can do is help improve their digestive function. And they probably, you guys talked about that in the previous podcast. And so actions like making sure that you eat good amounts of healthy, uh, fermented foods, making sure that you eat foods that are high in fiber, low glycemic vegetables, those feed your microbiome. Digestive enzymes could be necessary or finding a good functional medicine practitioner that could run a stool test and analyze what's actually happening in the gut communities. It's, it's basically what you're saying is like, you know, the body is a whole system and everything depends on everything else. It's all connected. It's all connected. So if you want to improve your brain health, you know, sometimes the best way to start is in the gut. Exactly, yeah. So the gut's one area. There's another thing we call the mitochondria, which are the battery packs for our brain and actually for our cells. And you can support the mitochondria by eating foods that are really rich in polyphenols, those beautiful, vibrant colors like found in curries or found in things like blueberries, found in things like... Uh, Different spices. Um, umimasu, which is this ocean trout. <laughs> you enjoy sushi, right? Yeah. Yeah. So salmon... 
Like salmon's good, but umimasu, oh my god, like the bright redness of that, those are the polyphenols that feed your mitochondria. After I had umimasu, it's like I can't really eat salmon anymore. But this umimasu is just really bright and red. It has those polyphenols that feeds your brain and your mitochondria. And we did a whole episode on that with Dr. Deanna Minnick. Uh, awesome. On, in the series. So if anybody wants to dive deeper into that, check out that episode. Sorry to cut you off. No, yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of things you could do to support the mitochondria. That's another obstacle to healing. But again, when I talk about obstacles to healing, it can also, if we understand this model, we can also use it as a preventative model. So doing things like that now or encouraging your kids to eat from the rainbow now or making sure that your digestive system is solid now, if you end up, and that's the thing, life will happen, right? Like when I was a kid, I grew up skateboarding and my mom was terrified, you know, she's like, she's like, you're going to break your neck. And she was right. When I think about that, that's a possibility. So those like with that understanding, though, if my kids skateboard or when we have kids, when when they end up skateboarding, I'm not going to necessarily like keep them from that. You but I'll make sure that, bubble. yeah, I'm going to have them wear a helmet. I'm going to give them fish oils. I'm going to teach them meditation and spiritual practices. So God forbid, if there is something like that, then the levels of inflammation in their brains are already at like a low level that if it happens, it's not going to go from a yellow to a red alert. It might be from a yellow to orange. And then we can do things to help dramatically lessen that inflammatory process immediately. So there's things that we can do preventively. There's things we can do if it's actually happened. And again, I've worked with a lot of patients with early Alzheimer's or dementia. And guess what? When I take a health history, they've had a history of a head injury. So even at that point, when it gets close to the end game, it's harder to reverse it. But yeah, just like Dr. Dale Bredesen's brilliant work, there's so many things we can do to even slow stop and even reverse that process. So all throughout the spectrum, there's things that can be done. And each like preventive versus treatments versus you know reversal requires different types of approaches. But it's still fundamentally the same. We want to make sure the root cause is addressed of the neural networks, that we have strong neural networks so we can do things like brain exercise. And when I say brain exercise, it's not just things like Sudoku. We can actually use our senses to exercise our brains. So things like listening to music feeds your temporal lobe, the musical neural networks. Going to, We're actually going to go to Vienna for our anniversary. We're going to go check out Klimt. Like go, his... His art is healing to my brain, to my occipital lobe and my limbic system, you know, like things like that exercise the neural networks. And then in addition, you can do things like we talked about dietarily, like using diet and supplements to lower inflammation, feed your mitochondria, create a healthy gut. And then actual practices where you actually use your mind to train your brain, like meditation, you can actually use this stuff is just so exciting to me. You can use different types of meditation to activate different neural networks. And so I have patients come in, I do a neurological exam, I figure out, okay, their left prefrontal lobe isn't working too well. So I'm going to give them this meditation where they, they have a mantra, like they use a word to root that because they found that that activates the left brain over the right. 
Wow. Or if I find in the neurological exam that their right prefrontal lobe isn't working as well, I'll give them like a Vipassana type of meditation where it's more about like body awareness and breath awareness because that activates the right over the left. It's Isn't like personalized it? meditation prescription. It's so cool. And there's all these other different meditative practices that I'm just kind of geeking out about recently and researching. They activate different neural networks. And, you know, this also probably goes, there's this whole debate of what's the right type of meditation and do people prefer this, prefer that. If you're drawn towards something, there oh, might yeah. be a, de- a reason why. There's a reason why. There's a reason exactly. why. And that's the right for you. Exactly. You know, there's no more what's right in anything. What's yeah. the right supplement? What's the right diet? What's the right anything? It's what's right for you. It's personalized. Bio-individuality, yeah. personalization, which is the message of functional medicine. Exactly. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, and by the way, you know, I want to just acknowledge you and thank you for how amazing you are at taking these complex topics. You know, as soon as somebody hears the word neuro, I think sometimes their mind checks out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? The, the, like, the, the neural network that processes the word neuro shuts down. It shuts down. <laughs> and here, you know, both in your book and also in this podcast and the Broken Brain docuseries, uh, you know, you've just done an incredible job of taking these very complex ideas and making them super tangible. Thanks. And I, I just want to acknowledge you for that because I think that's, you know, one of your many superpowers. Hey, I in, appreciate that. And our listeners, you know, we got incredible feedback during the docuseries and, you know, uh, just the feedback that we had on your ability to tell stories and have people connect to these, um, these lessons that you're sharing. Uh, they really appreciate it. So thank you. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about, you know, at your clinic, in addition to these components that you talk about in the book, you know, that people can do at home and they can begin and do on their on their own. For some people who maybe have a very severe injury or there's other deeper issues that are there, you guys also have um, a lot of high tech solutions mm-hmm. that you've used. I just want to touch on those briefly, because I think sometimes if people are aware that these other solutions are out there, it can also give them another level of, of hope. So can you talk about, um, in your clinic, some of the healing modalities and some of these high-tech solutions that you use and yeah. why you would bring them in as tools to uh, treat a patient? Absolutely. And so it goes back to what I was talking about, using the senses to help to exercise the brain. And so there's a lot of high-tech tools as well as very low-tech things we do, and we combine them all together you know, I've curated all these things over many years for the best concussion practices, you know, based on working with patients, teaching other doctors, and healing my own concussed brain. And so we use things like oxygen therapy. We use things like infrared sauna to help enhance detoxification and improve brain circulation. We use things like low-level laser, which has been shown to activate the mitochondria. It's, it's amazing. The mitochondria, the battery packs, actually have these little receptors on the membranes of the mitochondria, photoreceptors, meaning they get activated and stimulated by light. And so there's specific frequencies using low-level laser, which is very gentle. Most people don't even feel it. I can feel it when I shine the laser on my hand because I've trained my senses to really pick up on subtle energies. But a lot of times you won't even feel it. My patients, they don't feel it, but it has these powerful healing effects for the mitochondria. In addition, we're exploring a lot of what we call, what I call electromedicine. And I think that's another huge, huge tool to be used in the future of medicine, not only for neurological issues, but for autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's, things of that nature, healing the gut. And 
what electromedicine is, it's utilizing, again, it's using this idea of we can tap into our senses, right? Sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch to activate specific neural networks. So for example, when I talked about earlier, when I talked about the tech industry community, right? There's a very specific sense that we can use to like feed the tech industry. For example, it might be vision. We can feed the tech energy using vision. So I might do specific eye exercises or color therapy, right? Whereas if we're trying to feed the, the spiritual community over here, I might use things like sound therapy. But what we can actually do is use these technologies, uh, what we call bone conducting headphones. And it's not, it doesn't, it's not the sound, it's the vibration that actually specifically targets cranial nerve eight, the vestibular cochlear nerve and the vagus nerve and has very powerful impacts in creating neuroplasticity in the specific neural networks that I'm trying to target. Personal training for the brain, but very specific, right? Getting into those areas that have been injured in a head injury. Which is, which is very powerful, again, because going back, you know, traditional practitioners doing the best they can, telling you to rest, doing other stuff, not only are there solutions that people can do at home, but if there's deeper work that needs to be done, there's many other things that they can explore to see if it can help them heal their brain. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about, uh, you know, do you think that there's an ideal diet? Just coming back to food, because food is such a big component of all this. Yeah. Is there an ideal diet for someone recovering from a brain injury um, or just anybody who wants to have the healthiest brain? Yeah, for sure. So whenever I prescribe diets in my practice, I, I told you before, I, I firmly believe in using food as medicine. And, but it has to be personalized, just like what you're saying, the foundation of functional medicine. Personalization is key. But that being said, across the board, one of the most powerful diets that I put my patients on, at least for that interval when I start working with them, is the ketogenic diet. And that's where you use high amounts of healthy fats, moderate proteins, and low carbs. We're pretty much retraining a person's body and brain to use fats for fuel versus sugar. Because sugar, it's a really cheap energy source. You kind of, you know, if you get a little brain foggy, you could drink a bunch of Coke or something, and you get that instant hit, but then it crashes you, and it creates inflammation in your body and in your brain. And so, especially people who have had head injuries, their capacity for you know, their brain capacity is just maybe from 100% to 50%. So we need to find a better source of fuel. And we find that using fat, which your brain can convert into ketones as well as your liver, ketone bodies are a super fuel for your brain. Not only do they give your brain sustained energy, but it's also neuroprotective. It protects your mitochondria. And so the ketogenic diet is a great way. It's one of the things I recommend for all my patients when they first come in. And, that, yeah. and if I could just do a follow-up on that, you know, there's a lot of conversations around ketogenic and that sort of thing. Do you, how strict are you with your patients and where they're at? And, or how strict do you tell them to be? Because there's some people right now that are, very strict about ketogenic. They're measuring their ketones. They're doing a lot of different things. Do you have to go hundred percent to experience the benefits? So again, it depends when the person, when a patient comes to my office, I personalize it. So some people who have dysglycemia are really like these blood sugar roller coasters where they might, 
yeah, for example, if they eat some food and they get sleepy afterwards, that's usually indicative of either a food sensitivity or insulin resistance, issues with blood sugar control. So I'm not going to put them on the ketogenic diet immediately. I might kind of ease them into that. Make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And so in terms of the strictness, when I actually work with them and I get them to that place where I think their bodies and their brains could handle that intensity of the ketogenic diet, we get really strict. We measure ketone bodies in their urine. And I make sure that like the amounts of fats versus proteins and carbs is perfect for them. When I actually did the ketogenic diet, like years ago, I experimented with it. I did it for 45 days straight. Like just limp the 15 grams of carbs a day max. Oh my God, I felt amazing. And that was actually one of the clues that a lot of things that I did to help kind of heal my concussed brains were things that I recommended to my patients. And when I did it super strict, that's when I felt the benefits. And so if I came off of it slightly, it's still, you're going to feel the benefits, but not as much, right? Sure. And today, just always curious on a personal level, do is that the diet that you maintain for yourself or have you brought in some flexibility because I know there's a lot of conversations especially in functional medicine of is the ketogenic diet long term yeah have other repercussions on gut bacteria Absolutely. on other areas so for you is it a therapeutic tool that you use or is it this is how I'm going to eat permanently food is medicine so I use it therapeutic almost like if I was prescribing a drug so I, I might prescribe this drug because we need to get you over this hump. But once we heal your brain cells, we're going to find a more personalized diet for you. And it might be vegan. It might be vegetarian. It might be um, paleo. So for me, how I practice, and I really look back to our ancestors, people weren't doing ketogenic diets. When food came, they ate. They ate. And when it wasn't there, they starved. And they entered ketosis. And so that's kind of how I approach it now. So in answer to your question, when I work with patients initially, yeah, we get strict. We get, you know, I make sure that they're committed to the process. Because they're coming to you to heal. Yeah. I want to accelerate the process for them. Exactly. But then once that's over and they get their benefits, then we back off. So I don't eat 100% ketogenic right now, but I know if I were to measure my ketone bodies like randomly, probably like throughout the month, I fluctuate in and out of ketosis because for me, Man, that's been a light. It's been a game changer. Yeah, and there's also other measures of, of course, separate from the food that we eat. We want to be social. We want to have friends. Yeah. We don't want the stress of trying to. It's like training. If you were into weightlifting, it's like training every single day for your entire life. There's a certain level of stress that also comes along with that. Absolutely, right? yeah. And it doesn't maybe allow for uh, resilience uh, in other areas of our of our life. So thank you for you know sharing that point about you know, personalizing these things and bring them in as the individual person would, would need. Exactly. And it's just being really intentional with it, but I'm glad you brought that up because the way I approach not only patient care and healthcare, but life in general, it's like all these components are essential for health, like not just food. I find that a lot of my patients get really stuck. They might come to me and if they've done research already, which I acknowledge them for, they sometimes just get stuck looking at food. But there's so many other things like like you said, like just like one of my favorite things growing up, we used to sit around like our family would get together, like our whole, you know, family, extended family would get together for these holidays and we would feast around the table. 
wasn't ketogenic. I mean, there's probably <laughs> MSG, mad gluten, some dairy, you know, but it was just like this bonding experience we all had. And it's just, so there's all that. But I think there's ways too of creating, um, getting those needs met as well and also getting health needs as met as well. So when I talk about being strict, it's like in that phase when we want to get someone feeling better as soon as possible. But after that, I then have conversations about, yeah, stress management. And are you getting time off? Are you having time to connect How's with your, your friends? Exactly. Do you love your work? Yeah, right? absolutely. The, the intangibles. And one of the things me and Natasha, my wife, talk about a lot is like the cultural impacts that we're not even aware of that influence our health, right? That you can't like measure in a lab or a Petri dish. You can look at the effects of it, but it's like culturally, like what's the culture that we live in and does that promote health or is it just about productivity? But I think there's there's ways of finding balance. I think the beautiful thing in this you know day and age is that we're having the conversation. Mm. You know, if I look at my parents and their generation, um, you know, they didn't feel good. You know, they knew that maybe this wasn't the ideal thing of just working, 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 working. Um, but they weren't really given permission to ask why, mm. or they weren't given the tools and the information to go deeper and say, hey, if you want to live life a little bit differently, you know, mm -hmm. you can. And yeah. here are the tools and the resources. And I think that's why these podcasts, these docuseries that we're seeing out there, the work of Dr. Hyman, the work of yourself, the work of your wife is so great because people are finding solutions to their pain. That's the first thing. If you're in pain, you'll do whatever it takes to get better. Absolutely. But then also optimizing a life that's right for you and to really thrive. Mm -hmm. So I really, really, really uh, appreciate everything that you're doing out there. I know that um, you know we have a few more minutes here. I want to talk a little bit more about. Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about. You know, you you uh, you have this book out now. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you talk a little bit more about your book, your clinic, where people can find more uh, about the work that you are doing? Oh, man, yeah. Ever since I was a little kid, I've wanted to write a book. That Actually, my first profession was I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll come true, too, someday. But after that, I was like, I wanted to, to write a book, and I don't know. I just didn't for many reasons, just self-doubt and, like, you know, is it going to succeed or not? All the, you know, the inner critic, right? All that stuff. So I'm so excited to have to finish my first book. And one of the reasons in addition, it in, in addition to it being a life dream of mine, I wanted to write a book that people with head injuries can actually take and read it, understand why they have the symptoms they have and realize that, yeah, it's not just in your head. Actually, it is in their head in the neural networks in their head. <laughs> it's not in their head in the sense that, oh, they're crazy. You are not crazy. A lot of the symptoms that you're suffering from if you've had a head injury, even if they're psychological, it's neurobiological. And with that understanding, treatment is and healing is completely within your, in your grasp. And so I wrote the book to give people an understanding of why, to give them hope that there's things they can do, but also to actually give them specific actions they can take. Because like I said, not everyone's going to be able to come to see me in my practice. Like I put together a five-day intensive brain healing immersive program for people with head injuries called BrainSave, but not everyone, I totally get it, not everyone could come see me there. 
But I want to get this information out to the millions of people who are suffering from post-concussion syndrome, just like I was, just like a lot of my patients have. And so that's why I wrote this book, is to just get the healing process started. I can guarantee a lot of you out there, just by doing the six-week plan at the end of the book, you might feel much, much better just going through that. So I took like the most powerful actions and suggestions that I've done for myself and recommended to my patients. That's part of this five-day brain save program. And I've kind of compiled like the greatest hits right, in the brain save book. And so, like I said, at the end of the book, there's a six-week plan that you go through that looks at, it addresses the majority of the obstacles of healing. It addresses a lot of the root causes Obviously, it's hard to completely personalize it in the, in the book. But like I said, there's these little checklists and quizzes you can identify. Okay, you know, is it the frontal lobe neural network that's injured? Is it the vestibular system that's creating your dizziness and vertigo? Is it the temporal lobe that's leading to stress and anger issues? And so you can go through this little checklist and identify that. And then in the six-week plan, there's different exercises that the listener can or the reader can do to help rebuild those communities and the beautiful part about it and the book is really great and i love how just straightforward it is like it's like boom here you go here's what worked for me here's the plan here's everything and Thanks. the stories you tell inside of there yeah but the thing that i think that people can also understand is that you know whether you have a brain injury or whether you just want to have better brain health yeah for the future absolutely the, the plan that's in there I mean, you have nothing to lose. Yeah. You know, often people go on, you know, your plan or like Dr. Hyman's plan in, in Ultra Mind or just any practitioner who has a great plan that's out there. And they're like, they went in to uh, support their brain health, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, in your program. But then they notice that their sleep is better. Exactly. Their digestion is better. Yeah. It's like, what do you have to lose? And in fact, you have so many uh, things to gain by trying out the protocol and the six-week plan inside the book. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all connected, you know. that That's really one of the frameworks for functional medicine. It's not the symptoms, it's the, it's the root causes. And so in my book, I talk about the root causes, the obstacles for post-concussion syndrome. But yeah, absolutely. A lot of times people might have the same exact symptoms, but there's different root causes, so it requires a different treatment. Or someone might have like one root cause and another person might have like, for example, like a leaky gut or they might have a leaky brain. Like they might have a completely different manifestation of that based on their genetic predisposition and life experiences. And so by going through the plan, regardless if you've had a brain injury or not, I can guarantee you there's things that are going to shift for you in your life that you can't even imagine. Incredible. Dr. Titus Chu, thank you so much for joining us on this series. Uh, where can people find you on the web and on Instagram and everything else? Sure. So my website's drtituschu.com, D-R-T-I-T-U-S-C-H-I-U.com. And then I also have a Facebook page, same thing, Dr. Titus Chu, and Instagram as well. And the book is called Brain Save. They can literally just go to Amazon and type in Brain Save. We'll have the link in the show notes and in the email. And... Uh, exclamation mark at the end brain save and uh congratulations again and thank you thank you for bringing all this knowledge your past experiences and really taking this traumatic thing that happened to you and turning it into your life's work yeah. to really help other people who are suffering from uh, some of the things we appreciate you absolutely thank you